avoid illegal snags by telling people you are being recorded now you are being recorded malachi j matthews if that is your real name yes yes it is here today to bear witness to the execution of Horace Pinker, whose unspeakable atrocities have horrified the people of this great state. He stands convicted of 52 counts of aggravated assault, 23 counts of armed robbery, and 37 counts of murder in the first degree. Prisoner, have any final words? Yeah. No more Mr. Nice Guy. I don't think he's dead. Content. He's among you. Now, Wes Craven brings you his greatest creation. No more! Shocker. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whatever it is, wherever you are. My name is Malachi J. Matthews, this is Super Tap Film Club, and I am joined, as always, by Magic Mark. How's it going, Magic Mark? Hello, Malachi J. Matthews, if that is your real name. It is my real name, Mark. Good, I'm yes. glad. Just like yeah. Magic Mark's mine, yeah? It is, yeah, as as Hollywood Fletch is his real name as well. Hollywood Fletch isn't here today, he's, no. uh, he's busy bee. I hope he's having a nice time, whatever it is, wherever he is, whatever you are. What, what, what's your catchphrase again? Oh, I don't know. Uh, who, whatever you are, I've just forgotten it. I don't know. Good evening. <laughs> good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whatever it is, wherever you are. I can't remember. So I, I hope he's having a nice time, whatever it is, wherever he is. That's yes. what I was trying to say. That that was a bit convoluted, that. <laughs> Yeah, so he's not here today, so it's me and you. Me yeah. and you, man. We're still going to have a good time, because we've picked a bloody good film. We have. Well, well we didn't pick it. Uh, well, my insides picked it. I um, vomited it at the end of last week's show, so Christ knows how we're going to get a uh, a film sent to us this week. You did, didn't you? I hope, I, I hope it's not me vomiting or anything this time. Can I not just pick one and, 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 and pick Voodoo Academy? No. We've got, to, we've got to stick with this system, whatever it is. <laughs> wherever you are. Whatever, wherever it is. Yeah. <laughs> mm. What have you been up to this week then, sugar? Uh, nothing really. Just the usual kind of moping about, hating COVID. Um, I don't think I've done anything interesting at all. Um, I met a friend for, a, for, a, for lunch, that was nice. Social distanced lunch. Yeah. You've been looking at board games. We're going to play some board games this weekend, don't we? Yeah. Well, we discovered that there's a Highlander board game. And I mean, who doesn't want to play a board game based upon the Highlander franchise? Well, I don't know, but I do. I want to play it. And we're going to, we're going to do that this weekend. Last weekend, me and Hollywood Fledge went camping. Straight after we finished, finished recording, the... Um, the Highlander episode, we hopped in a cab and hot-footed it over to a um, a camping pod in the middle of Derbyshire. 
and we took a laptop and a pile of DVDs and a bag of wine and taught Fletch how to play the card game Shithead. You know, are you familiar with the card game Shithead? Of course I'm familiar with the card game Shithead. Yeah, he didn't know it. He didn't know it, so I taught, I taught it to him and I beat him all afternoon. Then he got it. It clicked. And he just started beating me. And then we played the zombies board game, the uh, card game with the rolling of the dice. Same mm. with that. He didn't get it at first, and they battered me for the rest of the afternoon. So uh, it's so- these youngsters in here. They, they 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 learn stuff that we teach them, and they get better at it. And it's very frustrating. It is very frustrating, especially when it's fun and games. But no, it was good. It was good. I, I appear to have put on the weight that I lost <laughs> from your guardio. You're not been doing your guardio. Well, as, as opposed to doing cardio, I was doing drinking wine and eating crisps, playing card games and listening to Cypress Hill. So that's that's how we spent our weekend. We, we listened to Cypress Hill and Danzig quite a lot that weekend. You're into Danzig, aren't you? Yeah, I love Danzig. I don't know if you noticed on Facebook. I don't. The only thing I post on Facebook is uh, Danzig memes now because I, I don't... Facebook for me is for old ladies and racists, mate. So... Fuck those people. They can have a picture of Danzig. <laughs> uh, social media is what it is. Yeah, so I'm quite glad. Well, if it wasn't for being a made-up person, I wouldn't have it. So, you know, I don't really use it social media as a social... I don't know. Do you know, you know what I mean? I do. You know, especially Facebook. I don't bother with it at all anymore. A lot of my friends have, have just got rid of it. But I need it just on the hope that wrestling will come back and I get my bookings through that. <laughs> so I can't... Yeah. It's the only reason it's ever been there. But anyway, have you listened to... Uh, have you done it? Have you listened to any more podcasts this week? Have you done any more podcasts of any of your many, many podcasts that you're involved in? I have, yeah. I recorded a... Um, it'll be up by the time this episode goes up. I did, I did a really weird podcast for um, my Red Dwarf podcast. I recruited two RPG nerds, and we had a look at the Red Dwarf RPG, like the source book for that, and that was a lovely chat, that was, catching up with me uh, with me RPG mates and having a chat about that. So I don't know whether anyone will want to listen to that, because it's... I don't know whether there's much crossover between RPG fans and Red Dwarf fans, but, um, yeah, that was lovely. I don't really care if no one listens to it, because it was nice catching up with me mates. Well, that's what it's all about, isn't it, Bab? Well, what about in it? We love B movies, so yeah. we meet up once a week and have a chat about B movies. It doesn't really matter if no one else gives a shit that we do it. No, I couldn't give two shits. But as it turns out, quite a few people listen to it now, so we've got to keep no. doing. We've got <laughs> Patreons and everything. Yeah, and speaking of role-playing games, one of our Patreons, in fact, our first Patreon, Mars, his name is. He writes. Hi, Mars. Uh, he, he writes role-playing games. He's just released one about cyberpunks and cyber police and things like that. So, uh, he? My he goodness. Took... Yeah. He was the man that suggested that we get a Patreon in the first place. I, I mean, I like him because he's, he's a, pa- a patron, but I also like him more because he writes RPGs. I'll have to yeah. check that out. Get him to send some details and we'll plug it on the show or something, yeah? Yeah, yes. Do that to Mars. Send us some stuff. Yeah, I know you hear it, so... Yeah. But um, yeah, thank you to everyone that's that's like a Patreon. I don't like podcasts that over-egg the Patreon and make people feel guilty and shit. We ain't never going to do that, but anybody who does, we really appreciate you. Thanks. 
Yeah, it's great. Like 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 Mark says, we just we just get together for the for the fun of doing this. So it's nice to be appreciated for it, and uh, it'll all go in there. It'll all get, go in a little pot, and it'll go towards something. So thank thanks guys, and also you know we've got. If you want to have a look at it, it's patreon.com uh, slash supertatfc, and there's three different tiers on there. So all the details are on there. I won't bang on about it. I Mark seems to have got addicted to collecting DVDs. Oh, you've you've turned into a, like an old lady charity shopper, aren't you? Yeah. Hoarding shit. Yeah, as our American friends call it, thrifting. They go thrifting. Do they? Yes, there's uh, E.K. Wimmer and uh, Mariah over at um, Laser Graves are big fans of the thrifting. Oh, it's because Americans call charity shops thrift stores, don't they? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, and, and there's a couple down in the village near me, and uh, there's a new one that's open, Mark, and I think somebody's getting rid of a horror collection drip by drip, because I keep going in there and picking them up 25p a go. Why so, would you get rid of your horror collection? I don't know. I mean, I used to have a massive, massive VHS collection, and I got rid of it when I bought a new house, because I just, I just got rid of it. I passed it on to a friend of mine. Now, I know a lot, a lot of, like I mentioned, EK Wimmer, and especially the Bad Taste guys, a lot of our friends over in America have got massive VHS collections and, and, and loved the thrifting for the VHS. I just decided I was going to start doing it with DVDs. Mm. <laughs> it seems to take up less space. And I've got some corkers in the past couple of weeks. I've got shelves full already. And also, I've been ordering them online and they just plop in through the door every now and again. Uh, Alien Resurrection turned up yesterday, the one with Buster Rhymes in it. How much did you pay for that? One pound, Mark. That is a bargain. Yeah, I've been buying all these DVDs for about 80p from Music Magpie, and they just keep clipping through the door, and I forgot what I bought. It's good. It's like a little Christmas every day. I had Power Rangers yesterday as well. <laughs> of course you did. I watched that last night. <laughs> Have you seen the 2017 Power Rangers film? Yes, it was surprisingly good. Yeah, I quite like it. It's quite gloomy for a Power Rangers film. Yeah, it is actually, yeah. But yeah, it is, yeah. It's, uh, but I like it. I don't care what people say. I love a good entertaining, entertaining children's film. Good stuff. I do a whole podcast on kids' telly, mate. I can't judge anyone. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're not here to judge. We, we talk about Gary Daniels' films. Let's not Gary judge. Day. We're talking about Gary Daniels' films today. Are we Magic Mark? Magic Mark! What did we do this week on Super Tap Film Club? Shocker! 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 Oh, God, shocker. 1989, Wes Craven's shocker, no less. Now, had you ever seen this before, Mark? I had not. So this film, as with a lot of films from the 80s and 90s, I've got a story about them, and... This film, there was a friend of mine who lived like down the street and I didn't really understand it at the time, but with hindsight, I clearly had the biggest crush on him because yeah. he was just the coolest kid on the street. You know, I was like eight or nine, ten, twelve, maybe. And I didn't really get what was going on with my head because, you know, they didn't teach you what gay was in the 80s. And um so yeah, I had a crush on this lad and he was just the coolest guy. His parents let him watch 15s and 18s when he was like 12. And he had a shocker poster 
on his wall in his bedroom. And um, just because I idolised this lad, Shocker in my head was a film that was for cool people, but I never got around to watching it. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I was I was like, it reminded me of my youth and um, my weird childhood crushes. So um, I was looking forward to it. I've got no idea what it was other than it was a horror film. Yeah, well... It's 1989, this, so 88, 89. We know 88 is the prime year. It is the year. Yeah, I think to me, I was thinking about this last night. It's because I would have been 10 at the time and I was just soaking up all these things that were on, like, Sky Movies and stuff. And funnily enough, the first time I saw Shocker was my mum's friend had Sky and we used to go and watch the wrestling there, but we didn't go. If we didn't go and watch it on the Sunday night, the live things. It was when it was just SummerSlam, WrestleMania, Survivor Series, and Royal Rumble. Mm. And this year, it was SummerSlam 90, and they taped it for me. And she taped this as well, because this was on before. It was when they used to show WWF on Sky Movies, not on the Sports Channel. Right, Uh, okay. At midnight. So she always used to tape the horror film that was on beforehand. So I watched this uh, the day after SummerSlam 1990. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what it always reminds me of. Uh, so, yeah. The soundtrack to this film is ridiculous. Oh, well. mate. It earns a love art when it played the film theme. Shocker! 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 Yeah, that was metal. Yeah. That got a love art. Do you know what band that is, Mark? No clue. No clue at all. It's a super group called the Dudes of Wrath. <laughs> Of course, it's dudes yeah. of wrath. Love it. Did you not recognise who it was singing? Go on. It's Paul Stanley. Who's Paul Stanley? My God, the singer from Kiss. Oh, was it? Yeah. Within that band, it's Paul Stanley, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, Alice Cooper, the famous rock producer Desmond Child, <laughs> and Dio stroke Def Leppard guitarist Vivian Campbell. Grief. Yeah, so they did, they got together to do the soundtrack and they do three or four songs on the soundtrack. Other than that, you've got Megadeth covering Alice Cooper. You've got 80s Iggy Pop. Bands I've never heard of called Voodoo X and Dead On and Dangerous Toys. But yeah, fucking proper cock rock. Amazing cock rock soundtrack. Nothing wrong with that. No. And I can't stop listening. To, I've been listening to Shocker! all week since watching it i can't stop it i can't stop listening to it it's amazing yeah yeah we'll get into it then but so yeah this was obviously written by wes craven uh wes craven wanted a new horror icon to replace freddy krueger that lived in a similar sort of world which ba- you know it's basically the same environment that freddy krueger lives in enter this electronic voodoo man horace pinker who's the uh, he's from x-files in mark it's mitch pileggi skinner I was like, fucking hell, it's Skinner from the X-Files. I got very excited. And my God, he is an amazing villain. He's just fucking eating, eating the scenery in this film. Mitch Pileggi. He also presented, do you remember the show about the masked magician who the greatest, magic's greatest secrets exposed? Yes, I do. Mitch Pileggi was the host for that. (laughs) Mitch Pileggi. They did one about wrestling as well, didn't they? He didn't present that, though. (laughs) 
I love his name though, Mitch Pileggi. It's just a good name. Pileggi. Mitch. I mean, no one other than an American would ever be called Mitch, would they? No. The opening montage, you've got TV repair shop, a man dragging his leg around. He's got a gammy leg mark. And he's fixing TVs. TVs full of violent images of bombs and skulls and war. And this is very similar to the start of Nightmare on Elm Street, I thought. (laughs) I mean, the whole thing was... It was written by Wes Craven. And it was like... Mm, this is quite quite like Nightmare on Elm Street. Even like stuff with like stuff happening in dreams. I'm like, come on, mate, write something different. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's thinking as well. Because he's like, yeah, I'm going to do something different to replace Freddy Krueger. What you've done here, Wes, is you've written a Freddy film. You just don't put him in it. <laughs> you've replaced him with a guy from the X Files. <laughs> Speaking of nineties nineties wrestling, he reminded me a bit of Nails. Do you remember Nails? Do you know, he also reminded me of Nails. <laughs> Nails was an unpleasant character, really. The idea of letting a convicted criminal out of prison just to wrestle and then sending him back to prison again. That was a little bit icky, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I tell you what's not icky, Mark. Living in a town called Maryville. <laughs> that is a nice name, Maryville. It sounds so lovely. It does. It's a, and you've got a similar sort of picturesque start. In fact, this is basically the same start as the blob, isn't it? It's this, the, the football team have got the same uniform on and everything. So you, yeah. you start the star of the piece, Jonathan. Um, he's, he's the star player in the local college football team. Same as the blob. And as you know, in America, everyone's obsessed with college football. Uh, his yeah, best mate for me. Right. That, I don't know. This is the only part of the film where I was a little bit... I was worried that the film was going to be crap because as soon as there's sports ball, particularly the start of the film, I'm like, oh, here we go. Hurry up and get the sports ball out of the way. I like sports ball. (laughs) But it's all right, Mark. It's it's just in there for a second. It's just a little second. It's just the setup. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't get to meet his sporty mate, Rhino, (laughs) who's always in a tracksuit. Rhino is a good name. As nicknames go, Rhino is a good, you know, you, you get some horrible nicknames. Rhino, you know what? You, you know where you stand with someone called Rhino, don't you? You do, yeah. The coach, coach is like, you've been training, Jonathan, or you've been sneaking out at night. You could be number one, working your way up from the bottom. You've got great talent, Jonathan, but do you have greatness? Because the coach, he just wants him to do well, Mark. He just wants him to do well at school. Did you notice as well? The coach's assistant, Pac-Man, played by Ted Raimi. Who's Ted Raimi? Oh my God. Who's Ted Raimi? Brother of Sam Raimi of Evil Dead and Spider-Man fame. Right. He's also the someone's in my fruit cellar. That's Ted Raimi. Oh, okay. (laughs) In Evil Dead Dead 2, the old lady in the cellar. So yeah, the the guy with the glasses, Pac-Man, the assistant to the coach in this film, is the old lady in the fruit cellar in Evil Dead 2. You are the master of tat knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> during the game, Rhino says, you look like you've been up all night screwing. You get more ass than a toilet seat. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Jonathan runs into a goalpost, bonk, concussion. 
Ted Raimi runs over to him. He says, like, you need to go to the doctor. I think you might have concussion. He says, no. And then he falls over the refreshment table and there's Gatorade everywhere. And he's clearly concussed. Maybe this is why he's bonkers. Maybe this is what this film is about. Because he hits his head at the start of the film and then it's just batshit for an hour and a half. Is it a film about concussion, Mark? Do you know what? I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a weird kind of sense because this film is batshit. Yeah, because he bashes his head at the start of the film, then it's just, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I have no problem with that because, spoiler alert, this film was fucking wonderful. I absolutely adored this film. So his girlfriend, Alison, goes to to check on him because he's knocked himself out and says, like, I'll walk you home. He's like, thanks, mate. Next scene, as they're walking home, they're walking through a street, uh, disappearing ghost children run across the road behind them. Very much like Nightmare Elm Street. Yep. Yep. And uh, Alison says, Jonathan, where are we? And he's like, hang on a minute, how did we get here? I was raised in this house. My family still live here. And uh, he notices there's a TV van outside. He's like, who's working on TVs at this time of, time of night? I tell you with, mate. Horace Pinker, he's not working on TVs. He's in there murdering your family. So he goes into the house. Bobby, dead. Dead brother, smashed up fingers, pool of blood round his head. Screams from upstairs. He runs upstairs to find wonky leg X-Files man, hassling his mum and his little sister. And they go, Jonathan, do something. This is when you see Pinker for the first time. And he just like, (laughs) his acting is incredible. He's just like, shut up. Yeah, 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 for like the, the whole film. I- immediately, I just wrote down evil Mitch Pileggi love heart because he's wonderful. He's just <laughs> wonderful in this film. Yeah, he says, you want to watch? You want to watch me? And as he says, you want to watch, Jonathan jumps into Horace Pinkett and he disappears, waking up to reveal it's all a terrible dream caused by the concussion of knocking himself out at the start of the film. He wakes up and he's all confused. He's like, what am I doing here? And she says, you smacked your head at the football game. She says, you all right, you seem different. And he says, there is something different. And then the phone rings and he goes, dad, is everything all right with the family? (laughs) And it's not Mark because they're all dead. They've all been murdered by Horace Pinker. I I noticed as well, Waterbed. He's got a waterbed. I've always wanted a waterbed. I've only ever slept on one once and it was quite odd. Because you could hear it sloshing about. Was it nice though? Did it? Was it comf? Which my, my mate had one, so it, I can't really remember because I was drunk when I stayed over at his house. But you remember... dear, drunk dear, surely not dear. No, no. <laughs> I'd, I'd clearly been poisoned, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'd been poisoned with rum. It was bad rum the night before. What was it like, though? But you don't remember what it felt like? It felt like you'd imagine it to. It's really sloshing about. Like, if you put some water in a bag after this, slosh it about a bit. It's a bit like that. (laughs) Right, Okay. It just seemed to be a thing, because I always remember there's a lot of waterbeds in the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Not in the ones that... Wes Craven did. I particularly remember in Nightmare on Street 4, the kid gets pulled into a waterbed in that, but that's Rennie Harlan, who made 12 rounds with John Cena. Really? Yeah. 
So yeah, they're not all right. They're all dead, just like in the dream. Alison and Jonathan arrive at the rainy crime scene and Lieutenant Parker, Lieutenant Dad, sad dad now because his family's been murdered. He said, don't go in there, I mean it. He said, Bobby, Sally and Mom, he says, they're all gone. They're all gone. Now the news is all over it already. He says, officer in charge of the hunt for the killer. His whole family's been murked. Wife and two foster kids dead. Also mentions on the news that Jonathan is Lieutenant Parker's foster son. He was found at seven years old, beaten and near death. <laughs> mm. So, right here, you remember last week I decided I was going to trial the Mark Approves double tick? Yes, yes. The, the family here, the, the protagonist's family, is a non-nuclear family in 1989. Yes. And I'm sorry, that's brilliant, that's representation. And that's fantastic. So that earned a genuine surprise double tick of approval. I thought that was great. I thought that yeah. was really, really good. Good stuff. Well done, Mr. Craven. I think so. Nothing yeah. else was fucking original in this film, but, you know, that was. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Somebody read the script and go, we've, got to, we've just got to put one thing in, Wes. It's like, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with this nightmare on Shocker Street? You can't call it that. <laughs> so, as I say, it's all over the news, but the police have no leads, no clues. Who is this killer that has killed seven families today? The news says, almost 30 souls and a city afraid to sleep. Oh, it's not very merry in Merryville tonight. It is not. No. Uh, Jonathan and his dad go to a bar after the funeral, because you would do. After that, I think it's a bit stressful. And he says, I dreamt to the murders, Dad. Dad's like, oh, God, he's gone mad because of the murders. He says, everyone's having bad dreams, son. I've had a few lately. What with all the murders I've been, I've been dealing with? And he says, no, I dreamt it the night it happened. I saw what happened in the house. And he says, he didn't, you, you can't. He freaks his dad out by telling him, explaining the whole grisly scene that Dad knows that he hasn't even seen it with his own eyes. He says, OMG. How do you know this? What the hell are you talking about? He says, I know it was more than a dream, Dad. It was so real, I could smell the blood. <laughs> he says, I know what this guy looks like. I, I even know that he's got a limp, but Dad's not having it. He says, what, what the hell's with you, boy? You want drugs? He says, van tracks, Dad, van tracks. He's like, how the hell did you know there was van tracks outside? He says, I saw it, I saw him. And then he remembers the side of the van and he says, I can remember the address on the side of the van. I can take you where he works. And he says, um, Dad says, you're not coming with me. It's against procedure. John says, fuck procedure, Dads. I dreamt this. I'm in on this now. <laughs> I'm part of your team. Let's go and see Horace Pinker's repair shop. <laughs> the thing is, this is such an American trope of cinema and telly that... In reality, regardless of whether or not they believed a word of what someone was saying, they can't break procedure. They will lose their job. But, but this is such a trope with American drama, and, and, and I love it, I don't care. Probably enough, Predator 2, they do it in that. We watched it when they're like, don't go in there! And he's like, I didn't hear that last order. <laughs> yeah. And then they just go in. So yeah, Pinker's Repair Shop is a neon shack 
a labyrinth of digital pain. Said, so this is it. I can feel it. It's just like the dream. But dad thinks he's screwball, but of course he's going to check it out because it's his son. You've got to do these things. Says it all matches up so far, screwball or not. Piles of TVs, like an 80s music video. It, it looks like a, a ministry gig in there, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's playing stock footage of wars, riots and violence and things like that. Jonathan and the cops are searching the labyrinths of TVs. No sign of Pinker yet. But Pinker is there, Mark. He's spying through a spy hole. And he's looking, watching the police. One of the policemen lights a cigarette and he's like, bye. This screwball kid, <laughs> there ain't nothing here. Whack! He gets pulled through the wall, Scooby-Doo style, by the shocker. Jonathan finds his still-lit cigarette a few seconds later and he calls his dad over and he's like, wasn't there a policeman around here? Because he's been smoking, look, his cigarette says, oh, I don't know, where's he gone? Can't wasn't find him. Wasn't there a policeman attached to the cigarette? <laughs> yeah. And they can't find him. Then all of a sudden there's a scream and blood spills from under the secret door. And dad starts screaming, call for backup, call for backup. Oh my God. But Pinker has gone out the back door and he's dressed up in a dead policeman's uniform, limping towards the other cops outside. Then he then stabs in the neck. This it's... whole scene was really creepy, actually, and really well kind of formatted. Is formatted the word I'm looking for? But, but it, yeah, it, I just thought that it was a great horror scene. It was. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, Wes Craven, mate. Wes Craven. Inside, Dad and Jonathan find Sarge's dead body, minus life, minus a uniform, slumped against the TV. Dad checks his pulse because he's a cop, but he is really, really quite dead. Dead cat on a hook. Did not like. They rush outside and find the dead cops. Pinker speeds away in his dirty, dirty van. This isn't that far into the film, but this film fucking escalates very, very quickly. Yeah. It don't mess about. It drags for a few moments with the sports ball. That's probably mainly due to my dislike of sports ball. But after that, good grief, it just gains momentum at a speed of knots that does not stop. No, it's high-octane 80s cocaine action, I think I'd say. <laughs> You'd always say that. Yeah. Oh, also, this is one of my favourite bits. Uh, there's the dead cop on the police car, the shock look. <laughs> the dead policeman with a shock look on his face with a radio cord wrapped round his throat and his hands reached out like he's doing jazz hands. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> I'm not sure that was the effect that they were going for, but sure. Well, they, they go back to him as well. <laughs> he's in it twice at, at the end of the scene. It's just really good. Dad tells him to stay out of police business because all these people are dead. Get the hell home and I'll deal with Horace Pinker, Jazz Hands Cop. <laughs> <laughs> now, the news headlines are saying that they've identified the killer. They've got an artist impression, a police drawing <laughs> of him, which, Mark, take your glasses off, please. Right. Right, I'm looking at you on the Skype. This looks like a pencil drawing of you, mate. B b d d fuck off. It, it either looks like you or that magnet game. You know that magnet game with the iron filings? I don't look like Mitch Pileggi. Well, 
in the eyes of American artists somewhere. To be you... fair, though, I don't mind the idea of looking like Mitch Pileggi. He's a handsome man. I'd, I'd go with Mitch Pileggi. Obviously, I wouldn't go with Mitch Pileggi's character in this, but I'd go with Real Mitch Pileggi. Maryville is waking up to a new and terrifying world today, Mark. It's all over the news. Horace Pinker. Horace Pinker. The news also knows the whole dream situation. They say, they say everything. That's what I love about news in a horror film. They tell you the whole, as if the police would give you that information to say on the news. They're like, oh, we know who Horace Pinker is. We've seen him doing bad stuff. Um, we got this information from one of the kids of the guy that's running the uh, investigation. He dreamt it. Yeah, he dreamt it. But he was there. So it was real. <laughs> so, so, again, here's the thing, right? If in any way, shape or form, the police officer was connected to the case, even in the slightest way, not not in like a major way, like he fucking killed your foster kids. <laughs> they would be immediately removed from the case. And also, if someone had just murdered your family, you'd get some fucking time off. You'd want a week off. <laughs> also, did you notice what they put, the, the headline in the paper? There was a picture of Jonathan in his football, in his football gimmick, and then the headline said, if dreams could kill. <laughs> Fuck's sake. And then Pinker rips that out of the paper. Don't put that in the paper. Now he knows where he is. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, Jonathan grunting hard and working out. Alison's having a bath. And then after he's, he's finished doing his pull-ups, he relaxes in a nice vibromatic chair. <laughs> chair. I've always wanted to go on one of them. I lived with a friend of mine and he had one and we used to argue over, over whose turn it was to... Uh, to use it and then just go, oh, I really fancy a coffee. And they're trying to make each other get up to make coffee so you could steal the seat. <laughs> now, John, he, John's going to miss nine o'clock practice, but he's, he's stressed out about all these crimes. And he's, like, he's like, oh, my dad doesn't even know what Horace Pinker looks like. And he's not letting me on, on the police investigation because I'm not a policeman. And Alison's going, look, Try not to get stressed about it. You, you got football in a bit. And, he, and as he's leaving, he says, oh, yeah, I just remembered. Happy birthday. And she says, oh, with all this stressful crime going on and you remembered to get me a birthday present. And it's a gold chain with a, with, a, with a heart on it. And she says, it's beautiful. And he says, thanks for sticking around. Young love, Mark. I hope no one dies. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a douchebag. <laughs> yeah. JP heads to practice and he's got his sweet ass 50s car. But when he's when he's getting in his car, he can sense someone watching him in the bushes. But he still gets in the car, he sits in the car. But Evil is around. Alison's still in the house and the TV is reporting all the terrible, terrible storm of crime is on its way. John's on the news again and they mention that Horace Pinker is into black magic, animal sacrifice, general bad juju. And they found it, they found strange symbols and hundreds of mummified cats in his TV shack. Do not like meanness to cats. I know. Well, she didn't like this either, so she turns it off. Turns it off and carries on drying her hair. Now, John, sitting outside, is like, should I go? Is there a man in the bushes? Is Alison going to get murdered? Oh, she'll be fine. 
He'll be fine. <laughs> goes off to goes off to football. No sooner is he gone, bam! Pinker strikes. Allison dead. Smears blood all over the bathroom. Shouldn't have gone practice, mate. Shouldn't have gone practice. At practice, everyone's like, "Where's Allison?" He's like, "Oh, she's not turned up." Oh, maybe I should have waited. <laughs> <laughs> and that coach turns up and says, um, you might want to go home, mate. He's like, what's happened? He says, I'm not telling you, but just go home. Goes home, Alison's dead. Returns home, house is full of policemen, and they just let him straight into his house, where his murdered girlfriend is still in the bath, floating around, and there's blood all over the wall. Uh, sorry, written on the mirror is happy birthday from Horace Pinker in blood. And there's blood everywhere. Alison's still bobbing around in the bath. And then Dad arrives and drags him out. And he's like, how could you let this boy in there? And he, he drags his shot son away. Again, immediate suspension for the dad, cop, who let his son see his dead girlfriend at a crime scene. That's a suspension. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan is standing in front of Alison's open casket. This young girl has been taken by this this beast, this horrible man. Horace right, let, let, let's pause for a second. This is one of my regular wines, and I, I won't apologise for it. Here's the thing. Open caskets? What the actual fuck? Why would anyone ever want to see their dead relative full of chemicals to stop them from stinking of death covered in makeup in, it's a fucking dead body not only is it a dead body it's a fortnight old dead body in a fucking coffin why in the world would anyone ever want that my job is as a funeral celebrant do you know how many times I've ever seen an open coffin? None, because it's no. fucking weird. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way, mate. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to see it. And the, the, the crazy thing is, I know people like past relatives, people that I knew before, like Catholic people, take it into the house for a week. Anyway, I mean, if that's what you're into, that's what you're into. But um, not for me, not for me. I'm sorry, I, I, I just, you can't, this is not a visual medium, but I've kind of like shrunk into myself and I'm hunching my shoulders, I've shriveled at the very thought of this fucking morbid shite. Oh, makes my skin crawl, man. Oh, it's all right, Mark, it's all right. We'll move on, we'll move on. Rest in peace, Alison. That'll be the last we see of Alison now, when it, Mark? So she's gone. Definitely. Definitely gone. So... Jonathan, though, he's got a plan. He meets up with Rhino in his sweet 50s car, which is parked in the middle of a sports field on the running track. <laughs> <laughs> he says, you know what to do, Rhino. And Rhino says, yeah, I think you're tripping, but I know what to do. He says, fasten your seatbelt. Jonathan knows where and when Pinker is going to strike again. They drive round the town, listening for screams. He hears some screams coming inside a house. He's like... Stay, he's like, stay here, Rhino. I'm going to go and sort it out. This is where he is. I'm going to go. And he runs up the stairs. Pinker's at the top of the stairs with this lady. And you can hear the lady shouting, stay away from my baby. <laughs> <laughs> he sees Pinker and he says, Pinker, how's it going, Horace? Leave her alone and take me. 
Pinker says, you want to play, you little pissant? Now, pissant, I fucking love that. Piss good word. Yeah. You want to play the game? And he, he, he can't wake up and he's shouting, Rhino, Rhino, because it's all a dream. Very much like um, Johnny Depp's situation in the first Nightmare on Elm Street film. It's the same. <sighs> and he's just asleep in the car and Rhino wakes him up just in time. Just like um, Johnny Depp and Nancy in Elm Street 1. I don't understand how and why it's so similar to Nightmare on Elm Street. Just, <laughs> fuck's sake. But yeah, he, he wakes up just in time. He remembers the address from the dream. So they drive round, drive round, and it is exactly the same as in the dream. Jonathan's dad must be following him because they turn up and then all the police arrive. And uh, dad says to Jonathan, what are you doing here? He says, police work. What are you doing here? And he tells him, I, I dreamt about it. And just as they're having, the, having this argument, they hear screams from upstairs. So everybody rushes in and dad screams, freeze, you bastard. And he says, ah, so you brought daddy along. <laughs> and then Pink says, you boys hungry? Then eat this. And he chucks the lady down the stairs. <laughs> There's a real joy in this film for what it yeah. is. Yeah. And I, I, I think Mitch Pileggi's having the time of his life. And I, I think Wes Craven has really enjoyed writing this this film you know yeah yeah it's it's so funny and like you say especially uh pinker pinker is amazing he might be one of my favorite villains that we've had on the tap club because he's just he's kurgan level bonkers yes very much yeah. so so pinker escapes to the roof with his gammy leg and uh, jonathan follows him up he gets on onto the next building via a ladder but then he takes the ladder away so jonathan can't get to him but jonathan parkour jumps from one building to another Pink is kicking in the door with his gammy leg. Or is it his good leg? I don't know. But Jonathan drop kicks him from out of nowhere in the back. And then the two are fighting. Uh, Jonathan uses a TV aerial as a weapon, which was amazing. <laughs> Just like Definitely. whacking him with a TV aerial. And the other bit is like was when Pink had grabbed Jonathan's head and put his nose on the fan. And it's just like... <laughs> it's like, no, no! Dad and the cops arrive just in time, and then Pinker gets cuffed, and he turns around to Jonathan, and he says, You like killing too, don't you, sport? It's in the blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now Pinker's going to fry, and John wants to be there. Dad's like, you don't want to see this. And he says, I want to see him die, Dad. And then Dad says, he thinks about it, and says, do you know what, Jonathan? I think we've both ordered it. I'll get us box seats. <laughs> That's pretty bloodthirsty and sick, isn't it? It is, yeah. He's supposed to be the fucking goody, and he's saying shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> Megadeth doing Alice Cooper Mark. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Why did they need someone to cover Alice Cooper? They'd already got Alice Cooper involved already. He's in the other band. He's, he's doing Dudes of Wrath. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so, yeah, the electric chair is ready and waiting, all prepped for Pinker. Um, the cops and the priest go to collect him from his cell. The cop says his last request was a TV set in his cell. Now, when they get to the cell, Pinker is doing TV black magic. He's hooked up to the TV and he's, he's got candles all over the place. This is as shonky as child's play, isn't it? It's, it's just hammy and it's wonderful, but it, it just reminded me of the how ridiculous the premises of child's play. Do you know yeah. what I think? Yeah. 
what I loved about it, because he goes, come on, give it to me. And then did you see the big electric lips go, giant ghost lips, giant electric ghost lips come out of the TV and go, you got it, baby. Well, not only did I see that, that earned a love heart, mate. (laughs) (laughs) And then the the room fills with like TV ghosts and TV voodoo power. And (laughs) it's... It's ridiculous, but it's brilliant. All these swirly ghosts, a bit like the end of Highlander, come out of the TV and fly into Horace Pinker. And then the policeman separates it from this electronic voodoo and the priest goes in and kicks it all over. He goes, this is all blasphemy. This is TV voodoo. (laughs) The the policemen drag him outside and they're like, they fried his brain. We need to give him mouth to mouth. Now, this is the bit I remember seeing when I was a kid that stuck in my head. The only bit I remember is when he bites the cop's lip off. It was gruesome, wasn't it? Yeah, gruesome. He, so he, the first cop goes to give him mouth to mouth, and while he's doing it, Pinker goes, snap, 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 bites his lip off. Then the other cop grabs him, and he bites both. He bites two of his fingers off and turns around to the camera and says, finger looking good. <laughs> so this film, right, was R-rated. Yeah. But it was actually a cut version because oh, the the original cut that they sent was supposed to be triple X because it was so gruesome and they had to recut it to make it R-rated and it was this scene that uh, was cut. So it was even more gruesome in the original version and they have never released the uncut version. Well then. I didn't know that. Well done, Mark. We did a little bit of trivia there. Of course, we haven't got Trivia Fletch this week, so we have to come up with our own knowledge, which is hard. (laughs) No, it's not. I looked at Wikipedia. (laughs) And the cops are kicking him, and he goes, I'm fine, boys, just fine. Let's get on with the killing. And they drag him into the chair. (laughs) I love... I think Pinker might be my favourite villain that we've done. It's just when, he, when he's in the chair as well, and he, he sees uh, Jonathan there, says, you've come to look death in the face, schoolboy. He's just constantly sassing everyone, everyone. I think the utter glee and pure, unadulterated, unexplained, really, evil of Pinker, Mitch Pileggi, it, it's kind of just... Wonderful fun. There's no real motivation other than I'm a horrible, evil bastard and I'm enjoying myself doing that. And I really, really like that. Yeah, maniacal, I think that's the, the, for the laughter. They strap him in and he shouts at a priest. He says, do you want to pray with me? And he's like, fuck off and begins to laugh. Uh, justice is about to be served. The lights go down low. And they say, do you have any final words, Horace Pinker? And he says, yes. In fact, I do. He says, your pitiful little memory has wiped it out, hasn't it? I mean, I don't know what he's getting at here, Mark. They haven't laid any clues about this in the film so far. Where's where's he going with this, Mark? He says, I used to beat you good, boy. I was beating you real good when your mama tried to stop me with a gun. Say what? That's right. Dad stands up and he says, shut up. Shut up, you fuck. Which really made me laugh. I don't know why, it just really made me laugh. But yeah, it can't be. Pinker drops the bomb that he is, in fact, Jonathan's father. The limp is a result of Jonathan shooting him in the knee, trying to save his mum. 
And he says, such a big gun in such a little baby's hand, blasting away at your daddy with murder in your eyes, like father, like son. And then he just laughs. <laughs> this whole thing, I get that the idea of a foster father agreeing and encouraging a child to go and see the electrocution of his dad is utterly batshit, utterly insane. Not even in the worst world we could possibly live in would anyone actually allow that to happen if they were in a position of responsibility with a young adult. No. But I don't care. This scene was fucking brilliant. A well-earned love heart. Mitch Pileggi was just brilliant with his hate-filled vitriol. I just lapped up this scene. And that's what he says. It's like, at the end as well, it's what you're waiting for, dickhead. Fry me, you fucking insect. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. The chair is armed. The chair goes. They fry Pinker. Power surges, but he survives. He survives the chair. They're like, get in there, doctor, and check him out. They send a doctor in there. She goes towards him to see if he's all right, touches him, electric shock! Pinker opens his eyes and just starts laughing again. <laughs> Sparks an electric voodoo panic, darkness. And then when the lights come on, Pinker's gone. The chair is empty. But how? He's gone, sir. But where? He's hiding behind the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they go back in. Again, like Mark was saying, there is no way they just let you run in there. Especially not the child of the burning man that's in there. <laughs> just wonderful, don't care. They can't find him. They open the door. He's, he's hiding behind the door. But he falls on the floor and then he bursts into flames and then melts and disappears. And Dad and Jonathan just look at him and they're like, what, what the hell's going on? Dad says, Jesus, that chair really kicks ass. <laughs> and that's how it ends. <laughs> the cops are carrying the electrocuted doctor out of the building into the car and all of a sudden she just stands up and says I'm fine, leave me alone I'll just get in the back of the car all I need is a lie down and the police drive away and while they're driving away they're like hey, she was dead a second ago she, but she seems fine now and they just goes, just leave it mate they get out of the gates the doctor jumps up from the back seat twists one of the policemen's head and says I just felt like a little head and then drives the car into an explosive tanker and everything explodes. So obviously that earned a love heart because Explodium car crash, it's one of my favourite things. Yeah. Around the explosion, they can't find the doctor anywhere. They just find one of the policemen and he's because he's been blown clear of the wreckage and they put the cop in the back of the ambulance. Now, John has a dream about dead Alison in the shower and she's like, You've got to stop him. He's on the move. He's going to be uncatchable soon. It'll be slaughter. And he says, Alison, he's gone. And she says, no, he's not. Remember, remember our love. She gives him the necklace and says, use this. Our love will drive him out. Keep him away. And then she says, I'm so cold, Jonathan. Hold me. And then they jump into the waterbed. And they wake up from the dream. So wait a second here. This waterbed, they have... CGI splashing when they fall into the water. So the thing about CGI is it, it it's computer generated because it's something that's difficult to create with practical effects. But the thing about splashing water, do you know what you could have used instead of CGI splashing water? A bit of water. 
Some fucking water. <laughs> but Jonathan wakes up with the necklace. Have you ever seen a film where somebody can bring something physical out of a dream into the physical plane? I mean, just let me think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't it's know. A bell. It does ring a bell. We lot, we watch a lot of horror films, mate. So you, you know. Do. Next day, there's a knock at Jonathan's door. It's the policeman, Pastori, at the door. The guy that had got injured in the crash the, the night before. Now, Jonathan's about to answer the door. Then Dad rings him and tells him that Pastori's gone missing from the hospital. Looks through the little peeper in the window, in the door. Who is it? Bloody Pastori, he's there. And uh, <laughs> he tries to shoot him through the eye hole in the door. And then the, the limping cop chases Jonathan, shooting at him all over the park. I want to know why, if he's body jumping, why does he retain the limp? That cop's leg hasn't been shot in the knee, so why does he retain the limp? This is a huge problem with this film, that the rules regularly change and never make sense. No. So the policeman runs after, well, he doesn't run after him. He limps after him into the park and Jonathan gets chased into the park. He's also a terrible shot. He, he never gets his... <laughs> right. Again, he's a terrible shot, but he's not a terrible shot when it comes to shooting NPCs. Yeah. He can't hit anyone that matters for love nor money, but he only needs one bullet for someone who doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> yeah. So he's still catching up with Jonathan, despite his gammy leg. And then all of a sudden, plot, he fakes a heart attack. The classic, how did I get here? Playing possum, to use a wrestling term. But it's still Pinker. It's still Pinker. It's all just a trick. And then, as Mark says, he can't shoot anyone for toffee, but then he instantly sees a a jogger in the distance. Oh, he's gone. He's down. Fucking sniper. (laughs) Yeah. So then he jumps into a jogger's body. Jonathan gets bumped into by a little girl on a, on, a, on a push bike and she says, sorry, and then goes off onto the park. The next time you see this little girl, Pinker's jumped into the little girl and the evil little girl is amazing because she stands up and then she starts, she spits at the dead jocker and then limps over to a JCB digger, starts it up and she's like, come on, you fucker, move. And I'll tell you what, this evil little girl was a very well-earned love heart. I don't know who the actor was, but this, like, eight-year-old, she was fucking sinister. Yeah. She tries tries to uh, smash him up with a JCB. Jonathan chases her, picks her up, he gets thumbed in the eyes, and then she limps off into the park. He catches up with her, and her mom thinks he's like, fucking hell, she's getting caught by a diddler in the park. I'm going to... He catches up with the little girl, he grabs her and he tries to use the necklace on her and she kicks him squaw in the dick. <laughs> she goes down onto the grass, so he chucks the, the pendant, the necklace of love, onto her and that forces Horace Pinker's CRT ghost to come out of her. So when Horace Pinker comes out, he's like a video image ghost and it's fucking amazing. And then she gets out of the little girl, jumps into the mum, and then into a construction worker that says, eat your heart out, sucker, picks up the necklace with a, with a pickaxe and chucks it in the lake. That is a hell of a throw. Pickaxes are not light. And he throws it about 200 foot. Yeah. 
He was a big boy, though, wasn't he? Yeah, but there's a big boy and there's beyond the capability of a Olympic athlete. And that's what that throw was. <laughs> Jonathan just kicks him in the chops and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> he kicks him in the chops and runs away and goes to tell um, Coach and Pac-Man about what's going on. What I love about this film as well, there's no disbelief. They just, As soon as he says, look, I'm being chased by an electric voodoo man. Who's, who's in the, the electricity and going around from body to body, they're like, how can I help? <laughs> Brilliant. No yes. wasted motion. Yeah. So he goes to tell them, they say, like, we need a plan. I need a plan, but in order to do the plan, we need the necklace that's in the, in the lake. And he's like, but how are we going to get that? He says, coach, I've just remembered, I've got a diving mask at home. I need you to go and get it from my cupboard. Take Ted Raimi with you and go and get it. Me and Rhino will meet you at the lake in the park in half an hour. Waterproof. <laughs> so, the problem is, though, Pinker stroke big beefy builder. He's hiding under the bleachers and he's heard the whole plan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Rhino and Jonathan are at the lake waiting. No sign of coach, no sign of Ted Raimi. They're like, he's an hour and a half late. This is not like Coach. This is not like Pac-Man. An hour and, and a half? What the fuck have they been doing and talking about for an hour and a half? This film yeah. is so fast-paced. But they're just taking a pause for a sit-down and a cup of tea for an hour and a fucking half. <laughs> it's like, right, we're going to have to see if we can find it. And he storms into the lake and goes, Oh, this is no good. I need to go home and get my diving mask. <laughs> He says, I need to do it because Pinker's going to start killing again tonight. And if I don't stop him, it's going to be really bad. It's all down to me. I can feel it. So Jonathan tells Rhino to stay, stay behind. It's getting too dangerous. This is a bit where, uh, where he punches Rhino and he, Rhino does the, the sports bro thing and he holds him down and he goes, you know what I could do to you if you wanted to, Jonathan, but I'm your bro. He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all right, Rhino. I just don't need your help at this point. But I do need your help later on in the film. So uh, stick around. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Jonathan, no word from Coach or Pac-Man. So he goes back to the house. When he gets to the house, all the lights are off. But you can hear something in the bathroom. And uh, written really, really neatly on the mirror, it says, stop him. Stop him, Jonathan, please. <laughs> really, really neatly. <laughs> it is very neat. Good handwriting. They teach them well at that high school where he plays sports ball. Well, he's the coach, isn't he? He's a teacher, you know. Yeah. Got to have good handwriting if you're going to be teaching handwriting. Yeah. He's talking to coach. Coach is in the shower and he opens the curtains. But it's not coach because coach has got a limp. Coach has now got the gammy leg and he says... I'm going to rip your lungs out, Jonathan. No more, Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> he fights Coach and he, he finds a baseball bat. Because not only has he left a diving mask, he's, he's left one cupboard with a diving mask and a baseball bat in it. Because you never know. And he needed both of them, so, you know. No so, one's cupboard is just a diving mask and yeah. a baseball bat. Yeah. There is no clutter to go through to find either of those items. Well, the only clutter is the diving mask is in a pool of Ted Raimi's blood. <laughs> but I love the fact he opens the cupboard and there's the diving mask on the floor. There it is. Why hasn't he picked it up? Because he's dead. 
He finds Ted Raimi dead in the cupboard. Coach bursts through the door, and just as he's about to stab Jonathan, you hear, don't even think about it, Pinker. Who do you think this could be to save the day, Mark? Um, his dad. No, no, it's someone we've... Uh, I'll just tell you outright, because it is the ghost of Alison appears. Yes, Alison's ghost appears. Of course she does. And saves the day and says, like, fight him, coach. You can beat P- Pinker from the inside. I know you're in there, coach. You can do it. Will him out. But coach is struggling, struggling with the struggle internally. The internal fights between Pinker and honest coach teacher man. The only thing he can do is stab himself to death. <laughs> so he stabs himself and, and Jonathan and his girlfriend's ghost go, no! Pinker's CRT ghost pops out of Coach's dead body and tries to take Jonathan's body, but Ghost Allison protects him. And this film does not let up, does it? It does <laughs> not let up. The, you, you blink and you've missed something. That's what I mean. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult one to commentate this. <laughs> so, yeah, Allison's, Ghost Allison protects him, but she protects him with a love laser that she fires out of her heart into Pinker, and it pushes him out of the room. Then so, Pinker, so this is a rule change. We, apparently she wasn't allowed to touch anything. I, I, it, it happens again and again and again. I'm going to probably mention this again and again and again as each rule change happens. There are no rules in this universe, and, and, and horror fans like rules. Horror fans like systems. Horror fans... Duh! It's just a love laser, Mark. It's a classic trope. Love laser. Boy meets girl. Girl dies. Love laser. (laughs) (laughs) So Pinker is now the CRT ghost of Pinker on the floor. And he's like, I need power. I need power. His fingers extend and he jams them in a plug socket and he flies into the electrical supply. When was this allowed? When was this part of the established rules? Well, he's the shocker, you see. So now he doesn't have any shocking powers, though, does he? No, it's what he does now. This, like you say, he got the power of voodoo through a TV, and that made his ghost a video ghost. But that video ghost can go in the plug hole in the electrical supply. That's how it works, Mark. I'm glad we established that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Dad and the cops arrive, but they think Jonathan's done it. They said, "We're going to have to take you in, kid." And then Dad touches a lamp and it sparks. He goes, what's with the electrics in this house? Oh, no. That's not Dad. He's limping like Pinker. That is bad Dad. (laughs) (laughs) But it's okay because Rhino turns up because I told you. He said, wait around. I'm going to need you in about five, ten minutes. (laughs) (laughs) This is what you need him for. Rhino comes in and football tackles bad Dad down. And Jonathan makes a run for it. He's in the back of the car. Rhino saves Jonathan from the back of the police car. And he's like, go, 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 get out of here. Then he knocks over Bad Dad. But then Bad Dad makes chase in the cop car and he's like, I'll get him, this one's mine. Metal plays, more metal. Bad Dad is chasing Jonathan into a convenient TV studio. On the roof, it's a dead end. They keep climbing up and up. Considering Dad is probably a trained marksman if he's a policeman if he's a lieutenant high up and he's doing like all these murder investigations he probably knows his way around a gun but not when Horace Pinker is in his body because he's just flopping it around like granddad playing xbox 
he is the worst shot, unless he's a sniper. Yeah, that's it. Jonathan makes a run for it, and he climbs the satellite dish on top of the TV station, and there's a big sign that says, Danger! Steer clear of the dish! Dad! He's on there, and he's fighting Jonathan at the top, and then all of a sudden he goes, Oh! Oh, my heart! I'm having a heart attack! And he falls into the dish, and when he's hanging on the dish, the ghost of Horace Pinker comes out, and he looks up at Jonathan, and he says, I'm going nationwide, asshole, and gets fired like a laser <laughs> into the TV network, and the laser goes over all over America. There you go, he's gone nationwide. Satellite broadcast baddie Loveheart. My notes yeah. aren't particularly subtle this week. No, it's not a subtle film, this one, mate. True that. He got beamed out across America via the TV waves. Jonathan pulls his dad up to safety and he's like, oh, God, Dad, you never told me you had a bad heart. And he goes, it was all a ruse. Pinker didn't know I had a bad heart either. So I, I blagged it. He thought it was going to drop dead. So he, he flew out of me into a satellite. That's what he did. News. On the news, they're showing what it says, file footage of a funeral. If you notice, it's just the same shot of the funeral from the start of the film that they've put yep. in a file footage. So the, uh, they got this file footage from their director of photography. So John has a plan. So he gets all his football bros together to help him out because they're going to help him put together... They all get together to, to pull off the plan. It's like, you need to go and fuck with the power station. When they all meet up, they've all got the same coat on. <laughs> <laughs> they've all met up, they've got the normal clothes on, but they've just got the, exactly sa the, the same black rain mac on, all of them, as a disguise. And I thought that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Good disguise, that. Yeah. Jonathan has got a TV crew and a camera in his house. The guy from the news is there, and he says, right, so you want me to go on air five minutes to midnight, and if I do, you'll guarantee that you'll deliver Horace Pinker, the killer, to me here tonight. He says, yeah, that's right. And he's like, I can't see this happening, mate. And he goes, all right, all right, okay, well, I'll go to I'll go to someone else then, go to a different TV network. He's like, if you waste my time, he says, I'm going to make you a network anchor man. Are you ready for that? <coughs> All you need to do is make sure that the live, the live feed to the station is on here at exactly five to midnight. Jonathan goes to the foggy, foggy lake to find the necklace without the aid of his diving goggles. And he can't find it because he's got no fucking goggles. <laughs> goggles are important. Goggles are important, yeah. Alison pops up out of the fog like a scary ghost lady. And Jonathan absolutely shits himself. And... <laughs> And runs off. And then what I loved about the bit when Alison slides out of the fog really scarily. <laughs> but it was all a dream, Mark. Again. This is all a dream. He's in his bedroom. Jonathan's asleep, thrashing around on his waterbed. But wait, the TV flicks on. They've got a big old 80s-style TV. It clicks on and it moves forward. On the screen is a wildlife TV show about birds and stuff like that. And you hear the commentator talking about birds and all of a sudden gets bopped in the chops. And then you see Horace Pinker on the television climbing the tree with the bird's nest in it. So he's in the television, Mark. He's in, he's in this um, David Attenborough show. He's there on the tree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he yeah. is. 
Yeah. Back to dreamland. Jonathan is terrified by Alison. That bit really made me jump because he gets out of the lake and he's just stood there looking around. Alison comes up and goes, Jonathan. He's like, Jesus Christ! (laughs) (laughs) But he's like, you're not alive. You can't be here. And she says, I am here. I really am here. This is the dream realm where we can do what we like. They kiss. Change the rules again. (laughs) Change the rules again. They kiss next to the foggy, foggy lake. Which they couldn't do previously because she's a fucking ghost. Change the rules again. Oh, yeah, because she tries to stroke his hair, doesn't she? Mate, the rules change every five minutes in this film. I don't care because I had the best time watching it. But if this film wasn't entertaining, I would be livid. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a total waste of time. But um, Raincoat Football Bros have got into the power station. That's the update on them. Good. Pinker's video ghost has stepped out of the TV into Jonathan's bedroom and become a solid real person. Back in the dream, zombies of all Pinker's victims turn up. (laughs) Zombie advisor army. I mean, brilliant. Uh, uh, That earns a love heart. In the, um, you know, all of the people that are killed, there's his mates, Pac-Man and Coach at the start. Pac-Man's going, stop sleeping, Jonathan. Don't let him catch you sleeping. And Coach says, watch your ass, boy. Don't get caught in that pit. But Jonathan wants to stay in the dream world with all of his dead mates and Alison. But Alison tells him that it's impossible and he must go back and that she will always be with him. They hug and he wakes up on his waterbed at home. The TV's on. There's a TV preacher. Do you recognise that TV preacher at all, Mark? I don't, but you're going to tell me who it is, aren't you? Yeah, that is Timothy Leary, the uh, Kool-Aid acid man from the 60s. It was a, it was a bit of a... Uh, Cult leader guru, man. Hey, he was also in part... Of, he's done a lot of stuff with ministry and revolting cocks as well. <laughs> so, uh, if you're familiar with those two bands? I'm not, which is why I didn't recognise him. Ministry, uh, yeah. He, he was on the Linger Ficking Good album. He did a song called Jillicopter. There you go. Good. It's quite quite niche, that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan's woken up in the real world and he's got... The uh, necklace in the non-dream world now. It's real. And he's like, fucking hell, this has been really stressful. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down on my trusty vibrator chair and relax. While he's sitting on the chair, the chair comes to life. The arms turn into actual arms and they grab him. And then two little peepers pop up. And then the fucking, the ghost of Pinker morphs into the chair. The chair turns into Horace Pinker. I mean, evil chair. That had to be given, had to be awarded a love heart. Yeah. At one point, he's half chair, half man, like a comfortable centaur. <laughs> a chair centaur. He is, yeah. Because you can see Pinker, but then it shows you the bottom half and it's just the chair wobbling about. <laughs> so that's how he comes into the real world again, is via, he turns a, a plug-in lazy boy chair, turns into Horace Pinker. And he pulls the power supply off the side. (laughs) (sighs) Jonathan tries to escape. Pinker jumps out of a light bulb, grabs Jonathan to try, and then he shocks him. Electric flies all over the place, and then all the lamps, all lamps must die. (laughs) And yeah, and they do. And they do. Oh, this is one of my favorite things. 
Pinker comes out of a plug socket like the Terminator in like a bull, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and, and he grabs Jonathan. He says, come on, boy, let's take a ride in my Volkswagen. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, he might be a bad dad, but that's a good dad joke. Indeed. Indeed, yeah. And then Shocker jumps into the telly. <laughs> yes, Shocker jumps back into the TV. Then John jumps in after him with the power of love from the necklace. Uh, th th this is just another rule change. At no point was this fucking necklace the power to jump into telly. <laughs> it was supposed to protect you from this guy, not allow you to be a telly warrior. Well, yeah, telly Well, this is the thing, Mark. If you thought this film was bonkers or stupid or weird so far, strap yourself in, bad, because it gets a whole lot fucking weirder from here on in. That's it now. The TV chase. Jonathan falls into the TV. It's old war footage, but within the war footage, Pinker is a spitfire flying after him, firing bullets at him. Then they land... Oh, God, it's hard to keep up with. They just basically keep landing on different TV shows and, uh, like, news footage, and they're fighting in... <laughs> At least the consistency of his inability to shoot is the same in the plane as it is with a fucking handgun. <laughs> yeah, they're in uh, black and white movies, they're in Leave It to Beaver. At one point, they're running next to a car. <laughs> and it's it's running... wonderful. I lost track, so in my notes, I just put Telly Tour, Love Heart. Yeah, because there's so much happens. There's a sexy whip lady from an Alice Cooper video. At one point, they're running through an Alice Cooper video. Um, old footage of riots. Then they run into the anchorman's room and start fighting on the desk. <laughs> They're at a boxing match and Pinker's just shouting, kick his ass! <laughs> it's just utterly, utterly, utterly ludicrous. And there was no warning that this was really going to be what the, the film's denouement was. And, and I do feel like it's almost like this film was two different films where the end of the first half was when Pinker was executed. Yeah. There was at least some kind of sense up till that point. And then it just goes bonkers. It really does. And, you know, at no point am I saying that this is like Full Metal Jacket. That is not what I'm saying. No. The, the two halves are almost as distinct as Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> Well, he also, um, at one point, turns into a nuclear blast, uh, Pinker. He's a mushroom bomb that blows Jonathan into the Frankenstein movie, where Jonathan asks Frankenstein to call the cops. <laughs> does he ask Frankenstein or does he ask Frankenstein's monster? Uh, I, I think he asks Frankenstein's monster. Actually. There we go. There we go, yes. We, we don't want people writing into the show and saying, nah, 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 nah. it was the professor that was Frankenstein, not the monster. The monster hasn't got a name. We don't want that shit. Don't, don't at us. <laughs> they jump out of the TV into a real family's living room that's just done in a really kitsch 80s comedy way. Shocker beats up the dad in the family. Whilst in the real world, Jonathan grabs the TV remote and then jumps back into the TV and then he changes the channels round to the live feed of the channel that's filming his house back at home. <laughs> they jump out into the TV channel of his house. Right, I'm with you. I yeah. Think. 
the TV reporter's like, oh, holy shit, that's Horace Pinker. Now, they all clear, this is all being filmed. Jonathan's plan is working. Pinker is about to stab Jonathan when all of a sudden he grabs the TV remote and he pauses him mid-stab. <laughs> but but now, this was never established as a power that he could use. Ah, but Mark, you're forgetting, Jonathan says, you bought in the TV, now you are bound by its rules. <laughs> no, you can't pause live telly. You certainly couldn't in the 80s anyway. Certainly couldn't in the 80s, no. They, no maybe that's it, you had a vision of uh, Sky Plus or TiVo. <laughs> no, these aren't the rules of telly. So therefore they... Uh, I don't care. I but don't care. Them's the breaks, mate. That, that is the rules. That's what Jonathan says. Fine. He, he smashes him around the room with the TV remote saying, this one's for my dad, this one's for my mum. And, oh, it's so funny. And then he gets him on the bed and he jumps and makes him jump up and down and he pauses him in the air. <laughs> and then he says, Alison told me the secret. You're not my father. Do you know who is my father? Me. I'm my own father. And now it's three minutes to midnight, Pinker. And when Rhino and the Coke boys blow up the power station, you're dog meat. So Alison has apparently told him the secret. We never see the secret. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says, wait a minute, you said three minutes. You said three minutes before. Your watch has taken a licking and I don't think it's ticking no more. <laughs> I love that line. Ah, just wonderful. Well, Rhino cuts the power, Pinkett is free and he tries to dive back into the TV. But Jonathan sees this and he unplugs it. So Pinker's real life head just smashes head first into the screen. <laughs> Jonathan punches him. Big sparks. He sparks him out, Mark. <laughs> uh, you have been wanting to crack that gag for an hour and a half. I know you. Sparks him clean out. Now, the power of the mystery necklace. Jonathan hangs the necklace over the, over the camera so it's filming. And he starts winding Pinker up. And then Jonathan jumps into the camera. And then the... Pinker's video ghost just explodes and then Jonathan comes out of the TV back in the real world in his own bedroom and Pinker's shouting, come back, come back, come back you little, don't you ever put on the TV or I'll get you boy. The TV has exploded and there is just fire inside where the screen would be. Jonathan has got the remote control, he clicks it and the fire goes off. <sighs> and that's the end of the film. And he blows- Oh, but you've, you haven't mentioned what he does after he does that. He blows smoke off the remote control as if it had been a smoking gun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's it. And he goes outside because he's cut all the power to America. He goes outside. Nobody's watching TV, Mark, because they're looking up at the stars and they're going, hey, I saw you on TV. I saw you on the tube. Was that real, Johnny? And he says, it seemed pretty real to me. <laughs> and then it just ends. <laughs> just. What a film. What a film. I mean, it's been a while since we did, like, a solid bit of tat. And that, um, there we go. I think we came out all guns blazing with that one. I didn't know what to expect going into this. I, Like I say, the only time I'd encountered this film was that poster on my mate's wall. And, it, forgive the pun, it was pretty shocking seeing a film based around someone being electrocuted in the electric chair. That's... That's a pretty shocking premise. 
Yeah. I wasn't fucking disappointed. No. I say it a lot. We haven't done an 80s cocaine horror film for a while. And uh, that's filled the need for it. I think that that's perfect. That's Honestly, what we... after watching this film, I was shattered. Yeah. Yes. That's what it... It is high octane, and I mean, it, when it kicks off this film, it just doesn't stop. That's it. There's, there's probably about ten minutes of slowness in this film, <laughs> and the rest of it is just running around and shouting, um, which is not a bad way to uh, put a film together, in my opinion. It was, it was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. brilliant. You, if you want a film that has a very well thought out, sensible plot that is all very much making sense do not watch this film no, if you want to watch something that is utterly utterly bonkers full of dumb shit and you'll just sit there giggling to yourself for an hour and a half do not hesitate put on shocker put on shocker uh, but yeah I love this film and um, I saw, like I said, saw it when I was a kid. I saw it in like 1990, and then I, I bought this on DVD ages ago, and it's just sat on a pile. And um, I've rediscovered it recently, and it had to go on the list. It had to go on the show. And speaking of the list and the show, how are we going to get our our, um, our orders this week? I don't, I don't really know. We've got no system. We've got no system. We used to have the hat. We have the li- we we have the list we were working from, but it's all gone to pop with all the voodoo that. What's that in the distance? It seems. It's a horse. There's a there's a there's a scary cartoon horse coming. <laughs> Mark, Mark, can you hear me? You still there? Well, I can, but I I tell you what. Derby is a weird place. People puke up DVDs, and now there's cartoon horses. The cartoon horses, and it's dropped off. It's a pirate copy of Demons 2, Mark. Demons 2. Okay. Yeah, it's a pirate copy of Demons 2, but we, do, we, we don't agree with pirate copies, so, you know, we'll rent it off Amazon. <laughs> but, yeah, Demons 2. It's a sequel to a film that we've already done. We've only done that once before, and that was Maniac Cop 1 and 2. A bit of Italian tap mark. You know we like we you know we like the Italian side of things. Definitely. Yeah, they're the best at tap, and they're the best at 80s rock soundtrack-based horror films, as far as I'm concerned. So next week, we'll be doing Demons 2, Electric Boogaloo. Thank you for joining us this week on Super Tap Film Club. Like we said at the start of the show, and we say it every week, Please like, subscribe, pass it along, uh, do it on the Apple, Spotify, Spotify, all that. Sound like a fucking robot. Go and listen to our friends. You know who they are. Laser Graves, Bad Taste Video, uh, Fright Vision. Um, listen it- to my other podcasts as well. Yes, listen to Mark's other podcasts. What are they called, Mark? Tell them what they're called. Right in the Childhood, that's about kids telling. Shipwrecked yeah. and Comatose, that's about Red Dwarf. Pull or Pass, that's about comic books. And Life's Milestones, that's about my job as a celebrant. Cool. Fletcher has also got another podcast that's coming out, and I, I, I don't know anything about it, so we'll wait for him to tell you about that next week. Because yeah, he'll be no. back next week. Yeah, he'll be back next week for um, a little slice of Italy um, with Demons 2. So thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Stop!
Right, if we're taking a pause, I think I've got to let my cat in to have a shit. Can we take two minutes? Yeah. Bear with. Do you need the toilet, Pesh? Come and have a shit and then fuck off again. Katie? You going to have a shit or you're not going to have a shit? You going to have a shit? Pesh, you going to have a shit? No, you're not going to have a shit. You didn't need a shit. Do you need a shit? Pesh? Do you need a shit? Or am I... Pesh? Do you need a shit? I love you, but you can't be in here unless you need a shit. Come on, Pesh. Come on, kitty. This cat. Come on, kitty, get out. Hello, dear, I'm back. Sorry about that. I don't think I switched my microphone off, so you probably heard me talking to the cat. I did, yeah. You said shit quite a few times then, Mark. Do you want to shit? shit? 